Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Tonight we're going to see Paul moving from a very skilled rhetorician, one who is uh, careful with his words, to one that's just becoming overcome with emotion for this people that he loves. And we can see that even in, in the way that he's writing this letter to them. But let us not forget, as we open up the scripture and begin to read it, that we find ourselves in the middle of Paul's ongoing argument to a specific people dealing with specific issues. And we're doing our best to reconstruct those issues so that we can make sense of this letter as a whole. This is Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. The word of God for the people of God. So what we've seen uh, from Galatians chapter three, verse six, up until present, up until chapter four, verse seven, Paul has demonstrated himself to be a skilled biblical interpreter. He has been looking back over the lay of the Old Testament land to try to root his argument in the scriptural teaching. Now, this is different because in the beginning of chapter three, Paul appeals to experience. Paul appeals to um, the experience that this Galatian church has had with the spirit, the things that they have committed themselves to, the way that they have felt the presence of Christ in their own life. And then he moves into a typical Jewish way where he starts ripping the scripture apart to get to his specific interpretation on these Old Testament texts. One example is in chapter three, we see Abraham as one who is circumcised. Now, let me see if this works. 
Okay, cool. Now, in the Galatian church, what has happened is Paul has come to preach his gospel. His gospel is a Jesus-only gospel, a, a gospel where people just have to trust in the risen Christ for all of their life and their hope. But what has happened is as after Paul has left, other people have slipped into this congregation to reteach the gospel and put a focus on the law to get people to go back to the rites of circumcision and table fellowship where they're eating the right food with the right people and observing the Sabbath. If you've heard me say that once, and you've been here for the last nine weeks, you've heard me say that 50,000 times. But what we've seen in the early parts of chapter three is Paul beginning to root a biblical interpretation that now moves us away from circumcision. So Abraham is circumcised in Genesis chapter 17, and what Paul does is he goes back and looks over scripture and says, if you just look at the way that the text flows, in Genesis chapter 15, before Abraham is circumcised, Abraham is declared to be righteous by God himself. And even before that, it says that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. So we have in these passages in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, a hint toward Gentile inclusion, non-Jewish people being included in the family of God without one being circumcised. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Okay. Um, what we have here is Paul is going back to the text to do a really ingenious reassessment of the Old Testament. It's not about Genesis 17. He goes back and says, even before that, see, Abraham has been identified as one who is righteous by his faith. We also see God's promise to Abraham. You guys don't mind if I just stand here, do you? It's not totally weird. Just think that you're in a lecture hall and I'm the professor and I'm roaming around. And if you fall asleep, I'll come over and smack you on the back of the head if I have to, okay? God's promise to Abraham, this is something that's important to Paul, and he begins to root this teaching as well, saying God's promise to Abraham comes before the law. The law, in fact, was added because of transgressions. The law was added uh, as a babysitter until Jesus shows up. So we have here for Paul, God's promise to Abraham is an important promise where it's all fulfilled, not through the law. The law was just to keep uh, people, not keep people occupied, but help them to understand their wrongdoings and port them towards something that would ultimately fulfill God's promise to Abraham, which is Christ. And for Paul, this is the important thing. He moves beyond circumcision. He moves beyond the law to get people to understand Jesus. And in the uh, later verses of chapter three, this is where Paul says that through Christ, Christ, everyone who is in Christ, that is us, anyone who has committed themselves to following Jesus, to trusting in Jesus, to giving Jesus their everything and their all, saying, I am putting a flag in the ground and I am following after Jesus. I've had some people come up to me after service uh, for the past few weeks and say, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What do I have to do? And in the American church, we've kind of turned it into like, bow your head, close your eyes, say this, this prayer, and then you'll be in the family. But what we see in the text is Jesus just saying to people, follow me, trust me, be about the work that I am about. So we have this, this thing where Paul is wanting to push people towards that. And anyone who is in Christ, anyone that has placed that flag in the ground saying, I am following Jesus. I'm not putting my, my faith and my security in circumcision or table fellowship or the Sabbath or all these, these different Jewish things. I'm just trusting that Jesus is enough for me. Paul says, anyone who is in Christ receives the promise that God has given to Abraham that person becomes Abraham's seed. That person becomes a child of God. That person becomes an heir. 
The teaching last week was basically all focused on this little bit of identity where we see us in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials, forgetting who we are, forgetting who Jesus allows us to be, children of the most high God, heirs according to the promise. Now, Brian, you're going to like this. I was geeking out as I was looking at my, my own little goings on here, and it just reminded me of a Back to the Future and the Flux Capacitor. I don't know. It was Jesus, and there was everybody in Christ, and I'm sorry. We're just, for those of you that don't know Back to the Future, I'm just flashing back to my mom saying, uh, Joshua, I never get your pop culture references, and that's fine. I can whittle a, a room down to four people, and even if it's just me and Brian that know Back to the Future, I'm okay with that. College students, make that part of your education, though, to please go back and to watch the fine feature films of the 80s and early 90s, such as Back to the Future. Show of hands, how many of you have seen Back to the Future? Okay, well, get on. You know what I'm talking about with the flux capacitor. Maybe you couldn't have anticipated me bringing that up here in the midst of us talking about circumcision and the Galatian churches, but now that you know, you see it clear as day. The Galatians, however, did not understand not the flux capacitor and back to the future in that analogy. Let's just, that's separate, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna run myself to death tonight. I just know it. They did not understand what Paul was talking about. They did not understand that anyone who is in Christ receives the Abrahamic promise, becomes a child of God, becomes an heir according to the promise. They did not understand that it wasn't about circumcision and law keeping, that it was just about trusting in Jesus. Instead, they tried to get in in other ways. The Galatians didn't get it. The Galatians had gone backwards. All throughout these verses that we read, Paul is at pains to say, why, why are you guys going backwards? Why are you becoming enslaved by the things that we have moved beyond, that Jesus has defeated for us? Why would you go back to circumcision and law-keeping? Why would you not just trust the promises that God has for us? And I don't know if it's too, too different for us today because there's a lot of times when we might just be sitting there wrestling with our own identity and wrestling with the fact that an infinite God loves us and all of our brokenness and all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our sinfulness that someone like that would look upon us and say, I want you. We've had so many examples in our lives of people, tangible people, maybe even blood-related people that say, that is not how I view you, and that taints how we understand who God is, and we expect God to not want us. And the Galatian churches that are trying to win God's affection might not be so dissimilar from us in our attempt to win God's affection, but what Paul is saying is, it is not about that trust that Jesus loves you and Jesus wants you and that you do not have to merit your salvation in any way. You just trust in who he is and you become about the work that he is doing. I certainly do not want to paint the picture, nor does Paul, that now that we have accepted Jesus, that our job has ended. I think actually that's a bad teaching of the American church. Once you raise your hand, once you sign that commitment card, once you say that prayer, you're done, you're in, great, you can do whatever you want, and at some point you'll go live in that mansion in the sky. But this is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is you begin to carry your cross, you begin to deny yourself, and you move, in a sense, to your own execution because you become about the things that Jesus is about. You love the outsider. You, you go to bat for the marginalized and the oppressed. You look out for the poor and you try to right the wrongs of society 
where these people do not have opportunities or do not have this or that or the other thing. This is where Christians should step in. And we've seen a lack of the church actually doing that. We become a people that are about what Jesus is about. The Galatian churches, they had gone back to a law keeping system. For one commentator, this is our dear friend N.T. Wright. He says, faced with this, Paul is almost in despair. What can he do? What can he say to make them change their minds? He feels like a mother who, after giving birth, finds herself going through labor pains all over again, watching her children struggle to become the mature adults they were supposed to be. This is Paul's metaphor, which is very strange, but he says, I love you guys, and I'm like a mom that is in labor pains again. I thought we already did this. I thought we already got you guys to the point of loving Jesus, but now what we see is something different, and here, here I am in labor pains for you again until Christ is fully formed in you. Now, I've never given birth to a child. So my experience here is, is, is limited. However, I do have a couple kids of my own and I am at pains. This probably says more about me than it does about the nature of parenting. But like I am at pains to see my kids in social settings. Like I've told some, some folks before, like when I show up to pick up Abram at Asbury on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, I don't want to get there too early because my fear of all fears is to see him not interacting well with friends and just kind of being shunned and doing his own thing. Last year when I would pick him up, I'd say, hey buddy, who'd you play with? With. He'd be like, nobody. I'd be like, oh no, nobody, no. Now he's turned into like, he's three going on 14. I'm like, buddy, what'd you do today? I don't want to talk to you about it right now. Like, okay, okay well, all right. He is his father's son, I suppose. I think Kate was a little bit friendlier than that. Um, I was going to say when she was small, but that would infer that she's not friendly like that now. She is very friendly. I'm going to move on, though. I'm going to come back here where I can press my button. What we see is Paul being the pastor. Now, we've seen hints of this before, but as I mentioned, from 3, 6 through 4, 7, Galatians 3, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6, until 4, chapter Chapter four, verse seven. Ooh, I was trying to make that clear for you guys and failed miserably. In Galatians chapter three, verse six through four, verse seven, Paul has been the biblical interpreter. He's been going back and rereading the Old Testament according to standard Jewish principles of interpretation. We don't understand them because we're 2,000 years removed, but what Paul was doing, he's making ingenious moves that people on his own playing field would have understood and would have identified as good interpretive moves. But now he launches into this moment of pastoring people. He moves beyond the biblical interpretation to just a moment where he is connecting with someone through the written word. He can't be there with them for whatever reason, but he just wants to communicate as effectively as he can his desire for these people and his love for these people and his emotional attachment to these people. This is not an intellectual argument anymore. This is Paul just trying to say with every ounce and every fiber of his being, like, I love you guys and I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I want you to see See this. Paul is being that pastoral voice to these people. He says things like, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. That sounds really harsh. 
like Paul is wanting to take it all back. I don't really think that's what's going on here, but hear that first line. I'm fearful for you. You guys aren't getting this. I'm fearful that the work that I have put in, it's not like it's putting me in a bad place, but that you're not understanding it. That's the important part. I've been trying to help in this way to get you to see who Jesus is and what he means in your life. And I don't think that it's really quite sinking in based on what I see now. I fear for you that somehow my efforts might be wasted. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, to become like me. I don't know if that reads like really arrogant to you or not, but in the first century, this is how people talk, especially philosophers and uh, theologians and teachers. This was the thing that you do. You become like your teacher because they are setting the example for you. And what Paul is doing here is saying, become like me for I became like you, meaning I have been in a sense where I'm asking you to go. I'm asking you to not put your trust in the law, to not put your trust in circumcision, to not put your trust in what you eat and when you eat it and how you eat it. I'm, put, I'm asking you to not put your trust in Sabbath observance. I'm asking you to do exactly what I have done and put your trust in the risen Christ. Paul, remember, was a Pharisee. Paul was like a, a really good Jewish person. And he's walking away from all of this stuff. And now we see these non-Jewish people that hear Paul's message and they begin to be enticed and want to to observe feasts and festivals, it says in in chapter four in Galatians. These people, they're wanting to put their faith in that. They're not wanting to put their faith in Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, follow me. I have blazoned this trail for you. Follow me and I will take you to Jesus. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. That's a great end clause there, isn't it? Because I'm so perplexed about you. Kate, next time we have a, we have a discussion, we say, I'm just, I'm so perplexed about you or about me. I I don't know. Everyone's super uncomfortable right now. I think even, even the two of us. So we're going to move on from that. Uh, maybe you guys and whoever, you, maybe your doormates, you could use pepper that in. I'm going to move on. So here, I, I've, under, I've italicized the change my tone because what Paul is wanting to do is he's wanting to be with these people face to face because he understands that there's limitations in the written word. We have limitations too when we write things, specifically through our phones, through text message. Have you ever written a text that you think was completely innocuous and the person that's receiving the text will respond like, what, what is that supposed to mean? What do you mean by that thumbs up? Especially when you have like the 30 and ups that don't really know emojis and then the 30 and unders, which know emojis really well. Apparently there's this unspoken code. I could be wrong on this, but a thumbs up is like a get out of my face, whatever. But I send thumbs up all the time, like, got it, roger that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm over here like, yes, absolutely, I can be there, thumbs up. And the person on the other side might be thinking like, what a jerk, what a stupid jerk with that thumbs up. I'll give you a thumbs up. <laughs> Something to that effect, I'm not, I'm not sure. But there's, there's a breakdown, and I've learned this the hard way through ministry where I thought like, I, 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 can, I can write relatively well and I could just compose my thoughts here and shoot off a text that's actually a paragraph and that will be really, that'll be really good for our communication. No, it isn't, ever. You know, nothing can replace that face-to-face conversation that people are having and this is what Paul is saying, I wish I could change my tone because I know that I've been laying you guys over the coals here. 
a bit. But what I really want to do is to demonstrate how much I love and I care for you. And if I could just be in front of you, I could change my tone with you. And I am perplexed about you, but not in a jerky sort of way. I just really care about what you're doing and who you are. And then we have this line here where Paul says, I am again in the pains of childbirth. Again, it's a weird metaphor, but not completely out of the ordinary for a man to, to use this. Um, I'm again in the pains of childbirth, namely until Christ is formed in you. Paul, as the preeminent pastor, wants nothing more than for the people in his community to understand who Jesus is and to be fully formed, to reach maturity, to be able to understand who Jesus is and who Jesus is calling them to be, and then to be that within their community of faith and beyond. And Paul, in these few verses, is struggling to communicate this and just wants them to know that at the very end of the day, he just wants Jesus to be formed in them. And he writes, says here, he describes his aim for the Galatian churches very strikingly until the Messiah is formed in you. His goal, that's Paul's goal, is that the messianic life, the self-giving love, which embraces all alike should appear in their own community. Richard Hayes says something similarly. Uh, the aim of Paul's missionary labors was to see Christ formed in human communities of love that transcended old cultural boundaries. I think that we miss this a lot, even though we talk about it every week. What Jesus has done is fundamentally change everything. His death and his resurrection has initiated new creation that we now get to partake in. When we put that flag in the ground and say, I am following Jesus, I am trusting in Jesus, we become part of the new creation. And it doesn't just stop with us. We become ambassadors, if you will, of that new creative work. And when we go out and we have reconciling conversations or when we pray big prayers that will um, change things, we become part of that new creative work and inviting other people into that new creative work. And what Hayes is saying is that the aim of Paul's missionary labors was to see Christ formed in these human communities of love that transcends these old cultural boundaries of circumcision and what you eat and when you eat it and Sabbath. It's a community of love grounded and rooted in the love of Jesus. One final scholar, Scott McKnight, says Paul's goal was clear. He wanted the Galatian converts to grow in the spirit until the image of Christ was formed, actually transformed in them. This would be a life of the spirit, not the law. It would be centered in Christ, not Moses. It would be the universalism of the Abrahamic promise. That is a loaded theological statement when even back in Genesis chapter 12, God says, Abraham, it's through you and your seed. The entire world will be blessed. We narrow that down to a specific people, but what God is wanting to do is to reach every square inch of this globe under the banner of Jesus. It's not the nationalism of the Judaizing view of the Mosaic law. It's this universalism of the Abrahamic promise. I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, throughout the New Testament, Paul has ways of, of demonstrating what this looks like for people to be formed in Jesus, what it means or what it looks like for them to reach this, this maturation process. And for people that have spent time in church, maybe you've heard some of these things where you put off the old person and you put on Christ, where you, you become something completely new. There's a few texts in the New Testament that I think bring this to the fore. Don't, don't phase out on me here, even though you can't see me up there dancing. Just imagine I'm behind you dancing. 
Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans chapter 13, just one chapter later, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now, Paul is tapping into some apocalyptic type stuff here. He's setting a context for where people were understanding that Jesus would return and his return would be imminent. Okay, And now 2,000 years later, we still await this, but he's laying out some principles for people in the midst of the waiting. The night is nearly over, he says. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. I think that's kind of an undersell. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Just note here for a second. When people talk about sinfulness... We talk a lot about sex. We talk a lot about drinking. We don't talk a lot about dissension and jealousy. Yet when Paul is laying this out, he's talking about acting as in the daytime, not the nighttime, and putting away the, the deeds of, of, the, of the night. And here he's giving some examples, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. And you might be like, okay, I'm cool. I like, yeah, I don't get drunk. I'm not carousing. I'm not even sure what that means. It doesn't sound like something I'm into. I'm not sexually immoral in the ways that, you know, the guy up here with the microphone might be thinking I am. I'm, I'm okay there. But when he starts getting into the sins of dissension and jealousy, it's hard to dodge that. It might just be me. I don't know if this is like a product of a grad student or what, but like, when I see anybody that I went to school with publish a paper or a book or get any sort of award or get a, a cool teaching post at a really cool school, I go into self-loathing for five to 10 minutes and I reevaluate my life. Even though I love what I'm doing and I know that I'm called to it, I still struggle with that, with that jealousy. And here Paul is calling that out as a sign of, of something that we should not be doing. He says, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And again, even when we say something fancy like gratifying the desires of the flesh, we immediately go to sex. I immediately go to sex. <laughs> I don't know if... The, we don't think, though, about dissension and jealousy as, as an act of the flesh, but here Paul is laying this out. This is not the way that we should be living. We have another text here. I believe this is the one from Ephesians chapter 4. He says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. And here what he's meaning is non-Christians. Um, you must no longer live as non-Christians do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Whew. He continues, 
That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is who we should be, and this is what we should be about. Once that flag goes in the ground, we should be putting off the old person and stepping in and clothing ourselves with Christ. And we'll see how this plays out in the book of Galatians. But for right now, just understand this is part of what Paul's talking about with this um, process of maturation. One more text. This is Colossians chapter two. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is the pastor here contending for the maturation of the people, writing with complete angst and emotion. I am pleading with you, brothers and sisters. I am as one who is in the pains of childbirth that you will grow in your faith and reach this point of maturation in Jesus because that is who we are called to be and that is who I am wanting you to to find your identity in. Paul the pastor is contending for the maturation of the people. Paul the pastor is providing an example that's worthy of imitation saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. I I am leading you guys from this state of bondage into a state of life that has been brought to us by Jesus himself. Paul is pleading with these people that they can experience this and understand this. Paul is longing for this specific people with words that convey this in some broken way where they are understanding that Paul actually cares for them in their specific state. And Paul is also stressing the role of the church as a new creation. Because of what Jesus has done, we don't just receive forgiveness and have our eternal destiny secured. We become part and parcel of something entirely new, namely new creation that can only be brought through our trusting in Jesus. He provides glimpses of this throughout his ministry where he's healing people and he's feeding people and he's restoring people. And we also receive glimpses of that when we get to go to the beach and baptize Vicky as an image of, of this change that has been brought about in her life. Sometimes we minimize what a miracle is because we're waiting for completely ridiculous things to happen. But the fact that any of us are in here right now thinking any sort of positive thoughts about Jesus and his church. It's a miracle that we can accept the love that God has for us and that we can move to become advocates for people. Paul, the pastor, is stressing the role of the church as a new creation. So here's the turn. What about us? And it almost works fine with me standing in the back because this isn't about me jumping around and trying to get you guys on board. This is about you trying to wrestle with some of these big questions. What about us? What about our maturation? What about our spiritual growth? When Paul says that I am in, I am in labor pains, that you would be formed in Jesus, that you would be transformed by Jesus, 
This is not meant to be a guilt-ridden statement, but where are we in that process? Where are we as we are moving towards growth? Or are we in a season we've kind of hung it all up and we've said, you know what? I got some stuff. Please know. Now, I've been reading this text for a while now and understand that Paul, like as his pastor, is like he's got this bleeding heart for his people. Like, I can understand where he's coming from. Because I want us to, to understand that our Christian faith should be something that is, is evidenced by other people. It's something that allows us to feel transformed, to feel as though Jesus is present with us, to become people who aren't afraid to pick up our cross and to carry it, that aren't afraid to follow Jesus wherever that might lead us, that aren't afraid of the work of that process of maturation where the Spirit is leading us into new and exciting and absolutely terrifying places for the sake of Jesus Christ. So we can ask that question, what about our maturation? What about our process of spiritual growth and spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation? You can also ask, what about our example? And I know that Paul is talking about here. He's saying, hey, I'm the leader of this place and I can give you an example. So really, when you're talking about application, the finger might be pointed at me and at Doug and other leaders. But I, I kind of want to extend that because we like Paul as well. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. And wherever we go, we have people that are looking up to us. And wherever we go, we have people that know that we are followers of Jesus, I would assume. And wherever we go, people are wanting us to lead them. And that doesn't mean that we say, follow me as I go start a Bethmore Bible study in the break room. That's not, it's not what I'm talking about here, even though that's fine if you want to do that. Um, what about our example and the ways that we are leading our coworkers and our family our friends, the people that we see casually in the library, and you know where they sit. They sit at that table every day, all week long, and they either bother you like crazy or they don't. I, when I spent time in my study carol, which I felt really special about that, there was this other person that was like catty corner from me, and they would bring in a bag of pretzels every day and eat pretzels in the silent library. So I'm like reading this book, and this guy's crunching over some sourdough Uts pretzels, and that bothered me. Like we have these opportunities. I'm going to tie this in, Susie, don't worry. We have these opportunities to lead by example, to say, hey, don't eat uh, sourdough pretzels in the library. Good grief, guys. I've lost you. I, that was a joke, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate that. So we, we are called to lead people by our example of loving and loving people well and having conversations that can lead people to understand who Jesus is. What about our Example. We all can also ask the question, what about our longing? And I understand this is kind of a strange one. But Paul here is writing this letter that's completely pathos-laden. He has such an emotional affection for these people. Who are your people? Who are our people? Where we care about and we are invested in their spiritual development and their spiritual growth. Who are the people in our community where we want to stand by them and put our arm around them and lead them or, or sit with them or be with them? Who are the people in our circle where we are taking control of those opportunities where we have moments to speak hope and peace and life that comes through Jesus? Who are the people that we are longing for? Would we ever be in a place where we can say, I am, I am in pains similar to that of childbirth to see you reach full maturation in Jesus Christ? Can we get there?
And finally, we can ask the question, what about our role as a new creation? We talk about this quite often, and I'm not sure if this has really landed yet. But again, what Paul is stressing here is that something, something new has happened through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. I'm hopeful that the way that we're beginning to think about who Jesus is and what he is calling us into goes beyond the benefits that we receive and goes into the fact that he is calling us and asking us to participate with him to bring about real change. Again, the people that you see and the people in your sphere of influence, how are you leading them? How are you directing them? How are you encouraging them? How are you challenging them? How are you redirecting their thoughts back to Jesus? How are you encouraging them to make the hard decisions and to stick their neck out for certain people? Is that who we are or have we just kind of settled? Have we become too comfortable? Do we need a letter written from somebody that says, I am at pains that you would reach full maturation, that you would be fully formed and transformed by Jesus? Have we forgotten that that is our calling? I'm hopeful tonight that in the midst of some of those big questions that might feel like these are some guilt-ridden questions, I don't wanna go there, but I'm hopeful that tonight we will understand again that this, this faith that we have is not just about us. It's not just about the things that we receive and the benefits that we have. It's about the ways that we can impact the people around us for Jesus. My hope is that we would not forget that. My hope is that we would begin to move beyond just thinking about ourselves to thinking about others and remembering what Jesus has done, not just for us, but for the sake of the world. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.